Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again with Ludwig. Ludwig, thanks for coming on again. Thanks for having me. So um, I, I should have looked this up so that I could give credit where credit is due. But it was a listener who suggested the idea for this episode, and um, I think it's a great idea, and I'm excited to talk about it. And the question that he had posed was, how many impressions is too many? Um, So I guess, you know, first of all, for me, for people who kind of aren't familiar with really uh, what I do in reenacting, I do basically two different impressions, specifically a... uh, a German rear area security soldier and uh, a Soviet rifleman. And, you know, I'll be honest, um, the Soviet impression really is a side impression. It's not as uh, developed at all as my German impression. The German side is where I started in this hobby. It's where I focused all of my research efforts. And the Soviet aspect is really fun, and I'm really interested in it, and it's a good way for me to learn more about it. But I don't speak the language. I can't read the uh, Cyrillic lettering. My understanding of how these units functioned and were structured is basically zero and you know i i'm always trying to improve but um my my knowledge pool is very very shallow on that um and so having those two impressions has really given me some perspective about it versus having uh just the one impression um ludwig what about you what how many impressions do you would you say that you have uh my main impression as I've talked about on the podcast before, is the uh, Panzer Grenadier Division Felder and Hallen. It's various antidescent formations. It's uh, predecessor formations. And we really cover that period. In an ideal world, we would cover it from about August 1942 right through to uh, May 1945 and all of its different iterations and forms as it comes. Because for that individual formation, there are a lot of different variations of, of, of uniform potentially required, depending on how you want to approach it. Um, now, that's I say my main impression. But as you mentioned with the side impression there, I actually find that because of the requirements of reenacting, and I feel this is something we'll probably touch on throughout this episode, I, because of the requirements of reenacting, I actually find myself doing the impression I'd like to do the most, the least, because it's not always appropriate for the scenario that's laid out. So I find myself mainly doing uh, what a lot of people would call generic here impressions. So your numbered here formations of various different types and, and shades and, and, and colors and so on. Um, I would say that of that, then that's really two impressions. But I also have side impressions that are really side impressions, like Soviet, much the same as yourself, um, and some other sort of uh, different random side impressions that, that come as part of not necessarily the military side of things, um, but things like the SR Standarte, Feldrenhaler, and so on. Those are little bits that I'm kind of building up over time, as well as sort of walking out impressions, as some people would call them, like officers' uniforms that would never necessarily be used in a particular reenacting context unless i was very lucky uh but come as part of building up a kit for a specific looking nice i guess in the context of reenacting going out as it were i think it's natural for reenactors to want to try out different impressions in the hobby um and over the years i've i've kind of had some other ones as well like my first impression when i got into the hobby was of a uh a grenadier in a German motorized infantry platoon. And I had various roles within that sort of impression as I got more experience and became a squad leader and was promoted to an NCO leadership type 
field leadership position in the group. Um, and I've, I've done other things as well. I've done uh, an officer impression that was an event-specific impression at an event that doesn't happen anymore. And I don't think I'd ever, uh, I'm likely to ever revisit that impression again, but maybe. Um, but of course, all of these impressions that I'm talking about are kind of uh, related to each other, where... Um, well, all the impressions I'm talking about are World War II impressions, but that's not how it is for everybody in the hobby. There are people who do two time periods. There are probably people who do 10, 10 time periods in 10 different nationalities. So um, there's a lot of different ways, I guess, to approach choosing how many impressions that a person decides to do. There is always that adage that World War II is king. I can't remember where I heard that, but I have heard that before. <laughs> for me... Um, the only other time period that I had ever looked at doing was World War One, and I actually bought an entire World War One German kit. I had an absolutely complete kit to include the rifle and everything that I would need, um, but I never actually did an event, and I later went on to sell that kit basically at a loss when I realized that every time there was a World War One event that came around... Um, the date conflicted. It was either the same date or within a few weeks of a World War II event that I was gearing up for. And basically, I I realized, okay, I'm not going to scale back World War II reenacting. That's taking up all the time that I can dedicate to my reenacting hobby. So I'm not going to be able to do um, World War One reenacting. But of course, World War One and World War Two are are their they're closely related. They're 20th century conflicts. I was going to be doing uh, the German impression for both world wars. So there are a lot of things that are the same. Obviously, the language, a lot of the uh, cultural traditions are the same. Some aspects of how units were structured and the rank, you know, most of the rank system was the same. So it wasn't going to be like uh, starting from scratch. And um, I've seen people who do multiple time periods and do them extremely well and do have deep knowledge of multiple time periods. I've also seen, though, the opposite, where people have a ton of different impressions for different time periods, but they don't have a very deep knowledge maybe about any of it and they're just maybe they're even kind of sort of doing the exact same kind of reenacting just wearing different outfits do, do you know what i mean yeah I, I get the impression of what you mean and there are a couple of different things you touched on there um i i understand the similarity in things and especially when you're talking about the two very similar well i say very similar but the two the conflicts that share quite a lot of characteristics when i think that you look at switching out your Second World War reenacting for Seven Years' War, a Revolutionary War, and a Napoleonic War. There's a big difference there, whereas somebody switching over from uh, a Second World War reenacting perspective to a First World War, perhaps the actual uh, methods of reenacting are a little bit similar in some respects. I haven't done First World War, I couldn't say. I'd like to do British First World War at some point. The German First World War, that that never particularly attracted me um, at all, but, but I'd love to do British First World War at some point. I did at one point want to do um, Prussian Seven Years' War. I'd like to do Napoleonic Wars at some point. There are so many impressions I'd like to do, and I think there are common threads that run through all of those impressions that are shared by 
soldiers themselves in in a sort from a sort of historical perspective even up to today in the way that that things like eating and sleeping and and, and drinking and so on are handled um and camping all of those different things i think there's a common thread that runs through all of those and there's just different you know historical settings for it and realities but there's a there's a general um commonality to all of them but where where you're talking about kind of jumping in between the different things i um I, I do I do think the adjustment is it, it does make a big difference, especially in terms of the kit that you wear uh in, in things like that. So I'm not sure. I think that's one of the big things that's always kind of held me back from it is that I I enjoy the Second World War perspective the most. It's the thing that interests me the most. And as much as I'd love to do something different, I'm always inevitably drawn back to that Second World War period. It's the thing that I always end up kind of coming back to. Um, as much as I'd, I'd love to go off with one of these distractions. And there's also so many other factors involved that, that, that can potentially hold you back from these things, like where you mentioned there, um, the clashing of events. You know, if you have a particular priority or if you have something that interests you the most, you're not likely going to let uh, another part of the hobby, another impression, another, another period entirely get in the way of that. And thereby, how many times are you actually going to wear that uniform? If you spent, say, thousands on a, a Revolutionary War uniform, a, a, a Seven Years' War uniform, whatever it might be, and all of the kit for that, and then you don't necessarily get the time to use that because it's clashing with events from other periods which you'd rather do. So that's one thing I've always I've always wondered about, and it's made me quite hesitant to have to prioritise which it is that I'd like to, to put first and attend. Um, where you specifically mentioned that that, that, that certainly comes forward, but it's also the cost in general of juggling all of these different impressions that I think I, I do wonder some you know somehow how, how some people actually manage to do it I, I think collating just a handful of impressions right down to the finest details requires enough time and money to exhaust anybody never mind all of these additional so I'm quite impressed by all of these people that manage to have what seemingly you know like a, a, a rotating um, wardrobe that just goes round and round with uniforms that start in the Neolithic age and end in you know 2020 so how they manage to do it I don't know but there you go sure it's not only the time and money but even just the space to store all of this stuff can be prohibitive um for me, thinking about other time periods, you know, I think I think reenacting is cool. When I was uh, in high school, I wanted to get involved with reenacting. I didn't know that World War II reenacting even existed. I was only familiar with um, the concept of Civil War reenacting, which, of course, is a very mainstream or was a very mainstream popular activity in the United States at that time. So I assumed that I would eventually get involved in Civil War reenacting. And then later on with the internet, I found out about World War II reenacting and jumped into that with both feet. Um, I, I would love... One of the things that I sort of kind of regret, or I guess at best sort of I have mixed feelings about, is that my World War II German impression really doesn't have any specific local connection to the area where I live and where I reenact. So um, it's not like there are historical sites near me where I could participate in an event as a World War II German soldier and have it uh, be related to the, the historic site, right? So I'm kind of missing out on that thing that um, people who reenact the Revolutionary War here have or the Civil War. Um, I'd like to do... I'm really interested in... King Philip's War, which took place here in uh, 1675 and 1676, and certainly I've 
kind of fantasized about putting together an impression for it. But the reality is, even if I could get the whole kit for free, which is not how it works, this would be very expensive, um, I wouldn't have anywhere to put any of the stuff. I don't have any room for any additional weird footwear or um, obsolete weapons or anything like that. So it's just it's just totally off the table for me. Even if I had the time, even if I had the money, I don't I I don't want to have to take care of more gear. You know, that's a that's definitely a consideration for me. And my my big question that would be, and uh, you know, coming from a, com- a position of complete you know, not knowing about this. Are there other people that portray that particular period and that exact, you know, sort of scenario in that area? Yeah, there there are. And um, I've gone to a couple of public events that are King Philip's War related. Specifically, I went to one display event that had a sort of a public tactical aspect that was a skirmish between colonists and their uh, Native American enemies. And I also went to like a presentation at a historic site that was done by an interpreter who was in uh, correct clothing for the era and had the accessories and stuff. And um, that lecture that I went to, the the person who presented it and who was wearing the King Philip's War garb is someone who I know from World War II reenacting. And, you know, that's... That's kind of what I find every time I go to a a public display that some other time period, which I enjoy doing this. I like to go and look at reenactors presenting other time periods and sort of compare and contrast their methods and see what they're doing for interpretation. Every time I go, I see people that I know from World War II reenacting. And so... Actually, that's sort of another thing that deters me, actually, from doing another time period because part of me feels like it's the same clowns just in a different circus. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is there is that aspect that you'd like to try other different parts of reenacting. I think this is kind of – this seems to me what you're saying, which is something I've thought about before. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem to – this idea that you'd like to maybe meet new people and go into a new – uh, area of the hobby and, and not maybe know everybody there that you, you're going to bump into. But because reenacting, I think, even though we do think of it, I think, from our own perspective as being such a, a, a big world with so many people in it, it really is actually quite a small... I can certainly say from the UK perspective, it feels like a really small world and you see the same people in, in different areas of the hobby again and again. And from my perspective, that's not a bad thing, but I understand where you're coming from and I'd like to be able to do the same thing. And it is nice when you meet new people and go into a an, a new part of the hobby without any kind of um, preconceptions of who people are based on when you've met them before or, or seen them before or seen their other impressions or whatever that might be. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been kind of putting myself out there as a World War II reenactor for a long time, and I've taken public stances on stuff, and I've made enemies, and I've drawn some lines in the sand, and I would love to be able to attend historical reenactments without any of that baggage, without anybody knowing anything about it, just totally anonymous, like it was when I first got started reenacting, and everything was brand new. And I didn't know anybody that appeals to me. Um, what I, I guess I'm afraid of is the idea of doing a different time period or a different nationality or whatever it is and realizing that I'm basically doing the exact same thing. I'm reenacting the same way 
just wearing different clothes because you're right like you mentioned there are things that are sort of universal experiences that carry over if you uh have figured out the best ways to sleep on the ground or like how you like to make a fire food that you can that you can uh have and make meals with uh without refrigeration and very basic things like that and so of course all of that stuff would come into play if i was doing another time period and uh, I just it's just daunting having so much at this time. I've done so much sort of research on what World War Two was like for the men who fought it, uh, talking to veterans and, you know, reading about it and um, tr- doing translations and all of this stuff. And to I just don't really see myself reaching anything like that level of proficiency for any other nationality and time period and so it's it's kind of I think always going to be something less and that's that's not really how I want to do it I understand that perspective but on the on the flip side and you did mention this earlier where you talked about the Soviet reenacting and I come at it from exactly the same perspective my knowledge of of the Red Army of the Soviet Union uh, is certainly in comparison to almost all of the Soviet reenactors I know quite comparatively limited but coming into that from the perspective of German where if they come and join us for a German event and they you know they borrow a kit or they indeed build up kit to come and start doing German with us and and, and we'll, you know I or other members of my group are having to teach them and, and kind of uh, bring them into the basics of it which would seem kind of elementary to us because we knew it was so long from the flip side if I'm doing Soviet then I feel like I'm actually benefiting from reenacting as uh, almost an educational sense and a personal educational sense in, the, in that I'm learning quite a lot often about not just you know the daily life of the Soviet soldier and the, the basic commands, the structure of the unit, the different expectations of discipline and the different responsibilities, but also the cultural differences as well, or the cultural similarities even, and the way that things were you know done uh, in a similar fashion in, in many ways, and also not so much, and then also the broader sort of... Um, you know the, the the broader history of the of the Soviet Union and and, and the war that uh, the Red Army fought and and how that was fought by the individual soldier, and I find that complements a lot the broader view that I might have of uh, the kind of strategic situation f- for the for the Soviet Union just from a general reading of it, and I, I really really enjoyed that perspective of it coming into it not from a completely novice position, but from a near novice and then learning so much more when I'm with these people rather than coming at it from the perspective of, well, I already know everything about this and um, I can't you know, necessarily be taught more. I think there's really something to be said for how things feel, how realistic an event feels that can be very different from your personal authenticity level you can go to an event not know anything about the role that you're playing what you're supposed to do um, and you may be completely inauthentic you may have all kinds of problems with your impression you may have problems with your behavior where you're doing stuff that's wrong or not how it would have been done but if you don't know that if you're just doing what you're told and doing what you think someone in that situation would have done and you think that your uniform and equipment are correct, it might be the most realistic event that you could do. Whereas when you've got a really advanced knowledge of a time period, you're at the event and maybe 
you're finding it hard to really be immersed in the the feeling of really being there because you can spot inaccuracies with other people's impressions or you understand that what you're doing is a little bit different from how doctrinally it was maybe supposed to have been done or something like that simple solution whenever you have one of these really authentic events just perform a partial lobotomy on everybody attending and they will have you know it would be the most (laughs) bewildering experience they've ever had you know we could maybe do another episode at some future time about the connection between um drinking and reenacting i think a case could be made that in certain situations uh it may not be the the safest thing to do but having a couple of beers before uh trying to time travel to world war ii might might help in some way just deliver a a creative ice beer to each grouper before the assault and see how things go (laughs) I guess a question that could be asked is, is something, is something lost by having too many impressions? Is it really possible to do an almost infinite number of, of time periods and, and different nationalities and different impressions within each, each type, right? Um, versus doing a smaller number of really heavily researched impressions? Yeah, I, th- I think... There is no objective answer. There is no real yes or no. I think on on the one hand, it's perfectly possible, provided you have the money and the willingness and the willingness to spend that money and spend the time to go out and build effectively, as you say, an infinite number of impressions. The actual quality of those impressions, I think, might suffer because of that. I don't do a million impressions. I have, in comparison to some of the people I know who do some brilliant impressions and they do them really well across all sorts of different periods. I have, a, and they're extremely knowledgeable about all of them as well. I have a comparatively limited number of impressions, uh, and even you know some of my main impressions are not complete, at least not as in, as complete as I would like them to be. But I think it's still possible to to you know go go to that length and do them all. But I do think. And this is just from my own personal perspective and not a viewpoint of anybody else. I do think the impression is is better when it does have that level of research and effort. And not just that, but also I do think that some people will chase up impressions not because they're particularly interested in the impression. And I've been guilty of this in the past when I've considered doing impressions. And I know other people have as well, and they probably agree and some will probably disagree, uh, as is their want. But um, when other people are doing an impression in your group or in your circle... And you might not particularly have too much of an interest in it, but then because everybody else is doing it, it becomes the case that you end up doing it as well. And I think that suffers there as well. And I've done impressions in the past where I've had somebody come up to me and start asking me about the impression, and I've realized very quickly I actually know very little about it. And that, I, that happened to me once when I was doing an allied impression, and that really put me off it, whereas it might not have hurt for other people because they were just having a laugh and having fun, which is also completely fine. But for me, when I was asked some comparatively basic questions about the impression and couldn't answer them in a in a satisfactory way that for me was just a major put off and, and it made me go back and research it but it, by that point it, it completely made me think yeah this is i'm not doing this for the right reasons and i think that covers a broad range of um people that, that choose to do these things because other people are doing them and they see other people doing them want to do them to either join those people or to copy them whatever it might be and there's nothing wrong with that in any way in any objective sense it's just from my own perspective i, I found myself doing that and, and, and not enjoying it so i think that there is from my own uh, viewpoint, and there is no objective sort of basis to it all, but I, I think there is a, a, when somebody cares about an impression and when somebody puts that necessary effort into it, you can really see that with it. You can really see the quality of it um, and, and the level of detail that they're prepared to put into it. And that can certainly happen on a, a much broader scale, I suppose. But I think those focused impressions are probably 
um, to me better. I agree totally. I think, uh, in, I mean, I've known some people who, for example, I know somebody who got started doing Civil War reenacting became incredibly knowledgeable, became an authority in many ways on certain aspects of the American Civil War. He then got involved in World War II reenacting and really did a deep dive into some really kind of niche aspects of the German army in World War II. And this person, his knowledge is like historian level on both of these time periods and I think he's he's done other time periods as well so I definitely can see that it can be possible for somebody to have an equal amount of passion in multiple time periods and to put together a kit that is incredibly meticulously detailed with carefully chosen items some something tells me though that's kind of the exception to the rule you know maybe this is just a bias that I have but I feel like I see people at reenactments and I know that they do um, a slightly related time, a slightly related impression, whether it's the same time period or the same nationality in a different time period. And I'll look at their impression and I know that they're using items that really are not ideal for the impression that they're presenting at that moment because they figured, well, I have this kit from this other impression that I can sort of shoehorn in that maybe kind of sort of looks like what I should have for this impression. And I know that they don't have, for example, uh, their the correct personal paperwork or that they probably haven't come up with any kind of backstory about the historical person that they're trying to portray. You know, it's just a, a, a slightly different outfit or whatever. So um, I think that's like a, a pitfall that people fall into. And of course, another thing that we haven't really touched on yet is people who put together different impressions and then just wear them for photo shoots for social media and don't actually attend events wearing those impressions. That's another thing that I've seen quite a bit of in recent years, I feel like. That is definitely a thing. I I, I think that falls into its whole, whole own category of what people's perspective on that is. And I think it then really comes down to the question of what is reenacting for you. If, you. if your perspective on it is just building up an impression and maybe picking up some really high-quality looking items for the purpose of building that impression, which is only ever going to make it onto a social media profile, what really is that? You know, is it, what, what, what actually is that? Is that just posturing for the purpose of, you know, I can purchase the best kit and arrange it in a way that's authentic, or is it is it something else entirely? I don't know. I, I think it's up to people to make their own sort of judgments on, on, on that particular score. Not something I've, I, I've ever particularly done. Um, but I know somebody that... It, it, his nickname is Mr. Ben, and 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 in terms of the number of uniforms that he wears, like he he is just a revolving door of uniform uh, uniforms, um, and not many people might get the the uh, um, expression Mr. Ben, but in essence, this is a person that just has uh, dozens and dozens of impressions. But what I admire about him specifically is that with all of these impressions, he will go into a tremendous level of detail. What a lot of people would call being um, a stitch Nazi is the the expression over here has 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 been uh, called so many times, and he will just go into such a level of detail and understanding about each different impression, you know, uh, and 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 it is really that sort of stitch counting level of detail, and it's really impressive in in the way that he's willing to get into the nitty gritty of having everything be as correct as possible, 
and everything be contextually correct as well for the period and, and, and the cultural elements as well. And it, it is just, it's hard not to admire that, that level of commitment for each different impression in each different period. It's hard not to step back and say, you know, I'm impressed at the extent to which you can go um, for so many different things. Whereas, you know, other people, as you say, they don't have everything prepared in terms of the correct documentation, or maybe they're swapping out items where they can afford to do that or think they can afford to do that. Um, so that's just one example for me where it does definitely work, where people can do that if they're, they're willing to put in the level of research and the willing, you know, the willingness for the effort to do that. But I, I don't think that is so much the rule. Um, in terms of just touching again on the Instagram sort of thing, in terms of people building an impression for that specific purpose, there also does seem to be sometimes when people will build an impression just for one particular event, particular um, occasion, and then maybe not use it again. And I, I don't know if that, you know, does that fall into the same sort of category or what is the what is the consensus on that? It's not something I have in any way a problem with. I'm just interested um, interested in what people's thoughts on it are in that in that respect. There are definitely people, certainly in other time periods, who are essentially putting together very, very specific specialized kits for individual events that never happen again. Um, I could never justify the financial layout to do that. You know, there's there are people out there for whom they will spend a thousand dollars with the ease with which I spend twenty dollars. I understand that, but. Um, I just can't wrap my mind sometimes around people getting custom-made items, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars, in some cases maybe thousands of dollars, for a single event that's not going to happen again. Um, it's just so it's just so weird to me, honestly. Yeah, I, I I can sympathize with that. I can also understand why, for the unique experience, somebody would be willing to go to that length. I understand from that perspective. And I think from all of these things, it comes down to personal preference in, in, in many ways in terms of what they want out of the hobby, what they're willing to do for it. You could argue from, from another perspective, the hobby would be a lot better in many respects if, if people would just, you know, if you had everybody just get an M40 tunic and portray a very specific period of the war and everybody do just huge events with that one thing from the second world war perspective in german terms not talking about any other periods and i'm sure this could be rolled out for other periods as well and it is that everybody wanting to do their own specific thing that i think is the big hang-up of the how many impressions is too many question is that if everybody wants to do their own specific impression their own specific period their own specific um scenario and so on that then creates hang-ups for how realistic reenacting is as a as a broader hobby because I think one of the, the biggest things for me is if you could combine a lot of the people that do different um, units, different impressions, and they have maybe at most a grouper-sized unit will attend an event. Well, having a, a single group of Falschmiega, a single group of, of SS troops, and a single group of, of here all working together certainly will undoubtedly have happened and did indeed happen, but wouldn't it be so much better and probably also cheaper for the participants as well if everybody was just doing generic here, for example. And then you would have uh, a Zug rather than just three separate group of portraying three separate things. And that has always seemed an obvious, if difficult, question. And I think that is the importance of scale in reenacting and the lack of scale because of perhaps 
and not necessarily entirely because of, but certainly because of perhaps the how many impressions is too many question is a major hang up uh, for me. I think it is the biggest sort of the reason that reenacting isn't able to achieve scale is because everybody is doing something different. And that ultimately, although I think most people would be willing to accept it, but maybe not act on it. That ultimately is one of the reasons that reenacting rarely achieves, in my view, the scale that it needs to achieve to be really, really uh, immersive and, and more realistic than it typically is. Of course, it's never going to be realistic in the pure sense of the word, but to be more realistic than it is, is to have that scale. The, the Second World War was an enormous conflict. And in any of these sort of grouper level events, there is a lacking um, scale to it, which I think really affects it. And you could argue it's for a myriad of different reasons, which I'd argue, but I think one of the biggest is this, you know, everybody is off kind of doing their own thing, which they're entitled to do. There's nothing wrong with that. I do think it just has this ramification in the end that you can't bring together the numbers of people doing the same thing to reenact in a, in a simple way of putting it. I agree. Um, you could even zoom out further with that and think, what if all reenactors did the same time period? Um, that, I mean, the numbers of people who reenact civil war in the United States have declined in tandem, I think, with a rise of people portraying everything from, uh, you know, every 20th century war, um, everything that ever happened but practically in history. You know, there are people out there who I think would assert that every time period should be represented at these public displays. And so, you know, maybe you've got half as many people as there once were doing American Civil War, but but now you've got all of these sort of um, tiny little micro niches of of the hobby. And there's there seems to be no end to it. I've I've seen this at times. Um, I remember when the uh, HBO miniseries Chernobyl came out and there was a local reenactor who decided he wanted to go to events and portray one of the people tasked with cleaning up after the nuclear disaster at the Chernobyl power plant. And it's, it's like, I think some people get it into their mind that if suddenly you find a historical time period interesting, the best way that you can indulge that interest is to put together some kind of impression and start to buy things and assemble an outfit and go to reenactments and maybe answer questions from the public about it and that uh that just always seemed really weird to me you know i think maybe it it bears saying that um if you're a reenactor you can be interested you can be really interested in many different time periods but you don't necessarily have to put together uh an impression for for every one of those time periods i I, people can create as many impressions as they want i think um what what those impressions really represent is an entirely different question as you kind of touch on there well you mentioned the reasoning behind especially when you're talking about the chernobyl hbo series there the reasoning behind that, I would say in very few cases is it more to do with the actual interest in, for example, in this particular case, the events at Chernobyl, more to do with the fact that it just, in a simple way of describing it, looks cool. And I think that can be rolled out across so many other impressions as well. And I, I'm certainly guilty of that. I know plenty of other people who are as well. 
but it is that it just looks cool. It's not necessarily that they have a genuine interest in the history behind it. It's just that a Chernobyl liquidator happens to look really, really interesting and cool. But the actual contextual history for that might matter a lot less. And that's something I've always kind of had in the back of my mind when seeing a lot of these impressions. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are some times that I'm even nostalgic for an earlier period of World War II reenacting as it was when I got started where we didn't have as many choices with reproduction gear as we do today. And so people were sort of forced to do more, I guess, standard impressions, for want of a better term, because that's what was available for reproduction stuff. That's what you could get. Um, And now, of course, decades on, there's people out there making every conceivable type of accessory and you know anything you can imagine has been reproduced and is is available with minimal effort usually from a place where you just go on the internet and add to cart and you can have it tomorrow and so we do see this huge diversity of impressions now and i guess there are good things about it but of course um you know as as we're saying there are some drawbacks to it as well Uh, there are some amazing impressions going about even when it's just one person doing them and, and, and one example recently has been this the sudden appearance of a lot of um, rad impressions which I've seen which I, I think is fantastic seeing those uh, everything about them really interests me I'd like to do it at some point I just don't see the context for actually doing it in a reenacting sense like where it will be appropriate to do it but I'm also doing impressions and building impressions which don't have uh, the necessary sort of background for where am I actually ever going to use that impression and I'm aware of that and I think there are contradictions in you know, my own argument about that, which I think most people would recognize uh, and be self-aware of. And it's just more, it, it all really becomes quite subjective to me in many respects, is, is, is how do you decide what is good and what is bad? And that's what's so broad about this question of how many impressions is too many. Well, I don't think there is a definitive answer. There are so many different approaches that you can take to the question and so many different ways of looking at it. Um, but the where well, you talk about there the availability of items and and the nostalgia for a historic time when items were uh, not as easily accessible i'm inclined to agree on the one half because i have seen over the course of the last 17 years so many groups which just are completely built off of a fantasy impression and i do wonder where exactly the origin for that impression lies one example would be you know the complete splinter get up um of some units um wearing complete splinter camo from head to toe you know, I've seen historical pictures. I've made that mistake myself in, in, in years gone by. And I wonder where, in particular, it exactly comes from. Because none of the pictures I've ever seen that show, you know, splinter garments in that particular way are ever as excessive as, as, as some of these things that have, have come about. And, and really, I think that comes about because, as you say, it is just a matter of looking on a website and seeing things that you like and, and clicking by and all of a sudden they're there. And it's easy, easily accessible, easy to mock something up that has you know, little basis in reality, if if any basis in reality at all. But on the flip side, for those that do want to build either very niche and specific impressions, however isolated they might be from the sort of wider hobby, and also um, to be able to access higher quality kit just for their, um, or, or kit that's really suitable just for their actual impressions, their main impressions, whatever it might have you, that expansion in having that to be readily, readily available and easily available from so many different vendors and to have so much choice. I, I couldn't say is a bad thing, but I understand completely where you're coming from about it. There's sort of a, an intersection of um, 
materialism and reenacting that to me marks some of this like drive to assemble more kits where it's like um you know you can collect these items it is fun to buy them it's fun to get packages in the mail it's cool to have stuff you can have reenactment stuff from different impressions all over your apartment and surround yourself with it in your house whatever and it's and it's fun and you can of course pose on social media and show off that you have all of this stuff maybe some of the items that you have are very desirable and you can flex on people that you have this cool camouflage item that they don't have or whatever it is but i don't know i just think um yeah i mean like like i agree with what you're saying the overarching point that there's not really a specific answer to how many impressions is too many i just i really sort of um it gives me pause when i see what i feel like is people just buying stuff basically for the sake of buying stuff to have stuff to show off that they bought this stuff um it strikes me as um a cultural thing that we we have maybe too much of in our world where we are all uh subject to modern advertising all the time and we are all materialistic on some level compared i think to people of the past who may do a lot of times with less and so i don't know i i mean i've i'm not immune from this and i certainly will be the first to admit that my level of reenactment gear hoarding is unnecessary and and probably unhealthy for that matter so i'm not passing judgment or or heaping scorn on people who do this but i definitely have thought deeply on why is it that i feel compelled to buy this stuff do i really need this stuff am i even really going to use this stuff and i would encourage other people to to think deeply on it as well and maybe to really be sure you know do you really need now to start portraying a Luftwaffe field division or whatever the the other flavor of the week is I mean I've I've considered doing Luftwaffe field division I've considered doing rad like you mentioned I at one point was even buying things that were related to the Reichsarbeitsdienst thinking that someday I would uh, put together an impression of that and I never I never have and I never will Um, even though I do think it's interesting and and the idea of it is fun. The the practicality of it just isn't there. So um, I don't know. I just think sometimes it's worth taking a step back and, and really thinking about why is it that we want all of these things? Well, the real question is when are we going to get the uh, Chris uh, essay impression? That's what we're all waiting to know. <laughs> um, there's a lot you've touched on there. And I... In, in sort of heart of hearts, I get exactly where you're coming from. But I'm inclined to say the materialistic thing. I see that everywhere. I understand where it comes from. Like you, I'm guilty of it. And I, I appreciate that the, the chasing of the latest item or of the cooler, you know, quote unquote, coolest item um, and, and, and having that flex of, oh, I've got X manufacturer's piece of camo or their tunic or whatever it might be. I've, I've got this and this is mine and I'm going to show it off to everybody. And the constant chasing of the different makers and, and which one is the best or which one produces things in a certain way. And sometimes that can be valuable. 
And sometimes it can be just really a huge distraction and can make, I think, make people feel left out in a, in a sense that really when they shouldn't be because it is really not important at all. And as long as it is, is authentic and historically appropriate and makes sense for the unit, where the tunic has come from, provided, again, it meets all of those criteria of being correct, where it has come from and how much somebody has spent on it is really less relevant to its actual authentic value and its, its use in the hobby. Uh, and I've seen that a lot when we have this continual chasing of the origin of manufacturers and vendors of kit, whether it happens to be somebody embarking upon a completely racist tirade against, um, you know, a European manufacturer or a East Asian manufacturer. And both of these, are, you know, whichever country you want to pick, whether it's Poland or China, both of these groups of people have been on the receiving end of completely unnecessary abuse by some person that's disgruntled about their wares and decides to apply that to a whole country. Um, when these things are not realistic at all and they, they, they serve just to misguide people and to lead to bad blood and, 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 and there's on the flip side, you've got the complete clout chasing of, of this particular manufacturer is the best in this category and nobody could come close. When you often find things in a surprising place uh, you know, with a manufacturer or a vendor that doesn't have that particular reputation, you find things that are, are just really good and, and really decently priced and not silly for what they are. And I've always tried to seek that out where I can, uh, which I think a lot of other people do as well and are less focused on um, chasing that particular item because it has a, a particular price tag. There are certain items I think you will have to always pay through the nose for because of the way in which they're made and the effort that goes into them, uh, the craftsmanship and the quality of the materials. And I think we do see that with a lot of places. And, and people do seem to have not necessarily a lack of understanding, but they do recoil when faced with that reality, which I think is just the reality. I think for the work involved, the craftsmanship, the man hours, the you know materialistic or not, I think the price often makes sense as much as it is regrettable that it costs so much in comparison to other items. Um, but with all of that, with all of that being said, um, I, I do feel, like I said, in, in, in my heart of hearts, when you do see all of these different impressions proliferating and the next thing being chased, it just just it brings me back to the perspective of, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we all just put everything down and got together and did one massive group all together, and put aside our own particular, you know, I, I've always said I'd be willing to sacrifice my own personal obsessions and interests of particular units and, 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 and particular divisions, whatever it might be, for the purpose of everybody getting together and doing one massive thing. And I think that really is how you would build a hobby in a way that makes it more tenable because it's bigger, because it's better. And it is in this particular instance, especially, that bigger really is better. To have that scalability is something that the hobby, in all respects, in my opinion, needs to move forward towards and away from you know, just having these grouper-level events where 11 guys are walking around in the forest looking for three other guys or whatever the particular scenario like that is, as much as that can be tremendous fun, is not necessarily unrealistic or unimmersive um, or lacking immersion, however you want to describe it. it. For me, when things are at a bigger scale is when the hobby is best and, and lacking that because everybody is, as you say, off doing the next clout impression is maybe something to consider. So essentially my, um, my insight into smoking and reenacting is the fact that I'm probably the quintessential I took up smoking uh, because of reenacting. So the Hungarian helmet is a Stahlhelm. It's, it's basically the German M35, but it's painted green. It has a bracket on the back and the rivets are different. So they think, they look at us, they're like, you don't look like Germans, but you have German helmet. Like we can fake close combat and shooting at each other, but like the, 
The pure horror of it's never comprehensible unless you've lived it. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. Ludwig, I love your, your utopian idea for the hobby that you articulate. And, uh, you know, we'll never live to see it, but uh, it certainly is cool to dream about it. If I keep banging the pots and pans together, they will come eventually. I just have to keep doing it and they'll eventually come. All right. So I guess um, we're we're running out of time. I guess in summation for me, my final answer on how many kits is too many is uh, any more than I do. So that would be three <laughs> at the current time. Ludwig, uh, th- thanks for coming on. It was really great talking to you again and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks. Thanks to all the Patreon supporters. Without you guys, we couldn't keep doing the podcast. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. To Ludwig and everybody else out there, I'll see you in the field. We love hearing your thoughts on the podcast, so why not sign up to the Reenactors Corner on Discord? You'll find a link in the show notes that accompany this episode. And while you're there, perhaps have a think about supporting us via Patreon. Your regular donations, no matter how big or small, really count and help keep us on the air. Thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing the podcast. And we hope that you'll join us here again soon for the next episode of The Reenactors Corner.